This is Andy Steiger. Welcome to the AC Podcast. On this podcast, we want to help you to understand and speak the language of our culture and to address questions being asked with intellectual honesty, gentleness, and respect. Hi, listeners. Welcome to the AC Podcast. This is Andy Steiger, and I am here with, virtually, I'm here with Joshua Fast from Priceless Youth Ministries. It is great to be with you. Now, you're located out in Victoria, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I'm on uh, Vancouver Island here in Victoria. Right on. Well, welcome to the show, Joshua. Thanks. It's awesome to be here. I've been listening uh, you know, to the podcast for a long time and a big fan of what you guys are doing. Right on. Well, we have appreciated you, not only as a listener, but somebody that's been actively involved in the the ministry that we've been doing. We actually first met you a number of years ago uh, with a speaking engagement Apologetics Canada was doing out on Vancouver Island. We were there with, uh, I was there with Steve Kim and Terry Crosby. We were hosting a, a mini apologetics conference, and I believe we had lunch together, and that was when uh, we first got a chance to meet each other, at that time you were you, you were working still for Youth for Christ. Yeah. Now uh, you've started your own ministry that we want to talk about today because there's some important stuff that you're doing. We we love the work you're doing, and it's something we believe churches need to hear more about. So there's lots to talk about here, but let's just let's just start by. Maybe giving people just a quick snapshot of what Priceless Youth Ministries is, and then I want to back up and I want to let people understand your story, which will help them understand even more where this ministry came from, how it was birthed. Yeah, for sure. Um, Priceless Youth Ministry, we encourage and empower uh, leaders in churches to become more inclusive for people with disabilities. So, I mean, that ranges from the elderly to young kids to supporting families who have um, children with disabilities. So, I'm linked up with uh, Johnny and friends out of the States who've been doing um, this kind of work for over 40 years. Uh, I've done a lot of training with them and I'm working on getting certified right now with them to become a facilitator of their program called Beyond Suffering, which is a college-level program that we'll be offering here in Canada. I also have done some of my own training programs uh, based on a lot of their material as well as uh, some of my own that I've come up with. Yeah, I mean, the goal is to to be able to get leaders to understand the need and what's going on with people with disability and be able to include them in church life. And so, the work then that your organization does, it's a nonprofit organization that comes alongside churches and helps churches. So, what are what are some of the things that you do to help churches? Uh, yeah, so there's kind of three main things that we do. Uh, we offer, obviously, the, the, the training program. Uh, we also offer ongoing support because uh, things change, dynamics change, people, uh, staff come and go, also different families come and go. You may have you know, a family with a kid who has autism one week, you might have someone who has a child who's blind or, or someone who has CP the next week. So it's really important to keep up that contact. So we offer ongoing support in that as well. Um, and why can't I remember our third thing? <laughs> While you're remembering the third thing, uh, let me just put a quick plug in here for you. Uh, that is, as many of you listeners know, I worked for Northview Community Church for a number of years. They're a large church out here in British Columbia in, in Abbotsford, and I, I ran the Young Adult Ministry. 
in that church, they've got a number of different staff that specialize in different areas. And one of the areas that they specialize in is doing a ministry that's called Imagine Ministries. And it seeks to come alongside families with children with special needs and helps them be able to attend church and ministers to their children. And so, this was really helpful for me because I was able to, you know, glean from people in that ministry that, that, that they specialize in this area that were able to help in my ministry with the people that were coming that have special needs that I could minister to them more effectively. And I just want to put a plug out there. Getting expert advice in this area is absolutely essential. And without question, I, I really mean this, with, without question, getting that, that advice, the feedback, knowing how to have difficult conversations, knowing how to structure things, starting to see things from perspectives you're not used to, was absolutely essential for me to be effective in ministering to them. And honestly, you could ask people from our ministry, did we do a good job? And we did. It was really cool to see, and it wasn't just me, it was a team of volunteers that came alongside working together that made this happen. But I'll shoot things back over to you now. Do you remember what that third one is? <laughs> I do. Um, so, the third thing that we offer and ties into what you were just saying is we offer an accessibility consultation. So, we go in and get an idea, not just physical like ramps or elevators or things like that of the building, but what's the social atmosphere when it comes to people with disability. Um, and often I bring in my son uh, to help with this and just see where people are at. Uh, do we get awkward stares? Do we get smiles and interaction? Just little things like that. But seeing where the social landscape is and being able to give suggestions on that is super important, especially for a church that's just starting out uh, and wants to do a disability ministry. Now, I want to, I've got lots of stuff that we got to talk about with regards to what you just said. But before we do, I think we now need to just take a moment to pause. People know what Priceless Youth Ministries is about at some level now. Let's back up, and I want to help our listeners understand who you are, why this is so important to you, and how you're coming at this from a very personal perspective. As you just mentioned, you bring your son with you when you're doing these consultations. Let us know about your family dynamics, and particularly uh, your son, Malachi. Yeah, for sure. So, about six years ago now, a little over six years, my son Malachi was born. Uh, before that, my wife had been trying to get pregnant. We'd always wanted a family of, you know, a couple kids. We've been trying to get pregnant for over two years, and uh, we are finally pregnant, and we're so excited to be pregnant and having a kid. And I uh, found out he was a little boy. Everything was fine, healthy, happy. Uh, as far as we knew, like in the womb, he was he was good. He was perfect. The only thing that was kind of off or a warning sign was that my wife was carrying a bit of extra fluid on board, which can be many things. It can be gestational diabetes. It can be all sorts of different things. So we weren't super concerned. Doctors weren't super concerned. Right after we kind of figured that out, um, we're just doing some testing and stuff around that. And uh, that night, um, my wife's, my wife's uh, water broke. So, I mean, our first kid and everything, we were like, okay, what's going on? Uh, so, obviously, we, we went to the hospital and they're like, yep, water's broke. I mean, yeah, we're a little bit early. I think it was 35 and five days. I, I might be wrong. My wife said I screwed it up on the other podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, he was early anyway. So, that's the important thing. And they're like, okay, no problem. You know, we have preemies all the time. We know what to do with preemies. You know, they might have a bit of problems with their lungs and they'll be in incubator for a bit and it'll be fine. 
So then we were in, uh, you know, got into the emergency room. My wife has C-section because uh, our son was breech. We already knew that ahead of time. He hadn't had time to flip around. So my wife's on the table. I'm, I'm, you know, by her head. Uh, they're doing the C-section and they pull him out and kind of show him to us quickly and bring him over to the table. And, you know, for the most part, we're thinking things are fine. And then suddenly the whole atmosphere in the room just goes dead silent. And people start rushing in. Doctors and nurses start rushing into the room. I can see kind of what's going on and they're doing compressions on my son. They've got the, the beggar. They're doing compressions on him and, and trying to keep him alive. And my wife, who can't see, is starting to kind of panic. And I got to keep her calm because she's on the operating table. She's, you know, cut open and they're trying to sew her up. So I'm trying to keep her calm. And, you know, after half an hour of trying to keep her calm and not hearing that sound that you want to hear when a kid is first born, um, them screaming or some sign of life didn't happen. Um, and they quickly rolled him out of the room and uh, tried to sew up my wife. In that time, we're sitting in the recovery room and, and she looks at me and says, you know, help, like, what, what do we do here? And all I said to her was, God can't give us more than we can handle with him. And we need to rely and trust on him through what we're, we're going through here. If he takes our son tonight, then he takes our son tonight and we can rely on him and get through this. If we have a son with disabilities and going forward, then relying on him, we can handle that too. And she said, okay, then we can do this. Later that night, we heard that it was only 80% chance he was going to make it. They did get him breathing. Um, uh, shortly after that, the doctor came in with kind of a, a smile on her face and said, now it's 80% chance he will make it. And I'm, I'm going home because he's good. He's stable. And it's really interesting. They gave him a medication called Bless, hmm. uh, which is uh, they nebulize it and, and put it in through his lungs. And that opened his lungs up and he started breathing on his own. But after that, it was a long four and a half months in the hospital every day, basically coming straight home from work and going to the hospital. And my, my wife would stay at the hospital with him in the incubator. And uh, we walked through every kind of device you can think of up to full life support all the way slowly down to uh, an airvo system, uh, which just puts a bit of oxygen uh, into his lungs to help him breathe. So we ended up finding out that he has myotonic dystrophy, which is a genetic disorder, and cerebral palsy. And the cerebral palsy was caused by that 30 minutes of lack of oxygen. Obviously, the brain can't survive without oxygen, so it starts to die. So the center of his brain is actually all liquid and just brain tissue on the outside. But he is one of the happiest little critters. He, he He's six, but he can't sit up on his own or, or hold up his own head. But he uh, moves his arms around a lot and throws toys around and giggles and laughs and um, definitely gets super excited when I come home for work, come up to him and, and start playing with him. Also, like uh, a little over a year ago now, we, had, was, we were in the hospital again and he had hip surgery. And uh, we just about lost him again twice in that um, after the hip surgery uh, he had to be emergency intubated uh, after the surgery it's, it's super scary as a parent sitting in the room and watching those monitors all hit zero mm. oxygen heart rate everything and uh, so yeah we've been through a lot with Malachi but um, he has so much to give so much life and so much that we've learned about God and our relationship with him and our relationship with each other my wife and I, and um, 
there's so much that we've learned and that I've seen other uh, members of our family learn through these events that we've walked through. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing with us. Going just a little bit deeper into that, you know, how how does this disability affect Malachi? Uh, on a daily basis, he, he pretty much lays on a couch and uh, plays with his toys, lays on his back. Um, we try to get him up in a stander or in, uh, I built a pool in our backyard for him. He loves the water because obviously with a muscle weakness, gravity's not as big of an issue when you're in the water. But in, in general, he does baby talk, can't speak, but he's not like there's nonverbal, which is what he would be classified as, but he's not non-communicative. There's a big difference there. And that was something that we didn't understand when we first found out about Malachi's diagnosis. Uh, the doctor said, oh, he's going to be nonverbal. And automatically I panic because I think, well, he's never going to be able to talk. He's never going to be able to communicate with me. But that's not the case. He can totally communicate in his own way, especially when you learn you know, what his communication is. And it's wonderful. Uh, his, there's so many different ways to communicate we don't realize. Walk me through what happened next. How, how did this experience lead to you starting this ministry? Back actually when you guys came and visited with Steve and uh, Terry and yourself with the Human Project originally, I you know saw your talks and that and kind of connected with Steve Kim, just intellectually you know he was it felt like he was on my level uh, that I could chat with him. Uh, he's probably way smarter than me, but. <laughs> <laughs> But at least uh, he felt like someone I could connect with. So I invited him out uh, for lunch and uh, and uh, Steve and I had lunch. And during that lunch, uh, Steve, I told Steve, you know, a bit of my story and who I was. And uh, he said, hey, have you read Disability in the Gospel? And I said, no, I've never heard of it. So I ended up a few months later reading that book and being really inspired by that book and by the story of the gentleman who's actually on the board of Johnny and Friends to start a disability ministry. And he lays out in that book how it should be done and how it, it shouldn't be something that's separate, but it's something that's included and part of the church and who we are. And yeah, I was really inspired. So it's all Steve's fault, really. <laughs> that's fantastic. You know, many things are Steve's fault, actually. <laughs> so I can, I can totally appreciate that. It was cool before we started this podcast, I heard that uh, you now, you're continuing to run this ministry. You're also now working as a youth pastor locally. And in fact, uh, I thought this was really cool. You are running the Human Project at your church and your students are going through the new book, Reclaimed, mm-hmm. which is awesome. And you're doing something that's interesting there that I think's noteworthy. Now, tell me how this works. You're going through the book, but you're also incorporating service projects as a part of the study. Yeah, that's correct. So, what we're doing basically is first week actually starting this Wednesday, uh, tomorrow, uh, we'll be watching the first of the Human Project videos. And then the next week, we'll be going through part of the book that ties up with that, because obviously the chapters in the book line up with the Human Project videos. So, and then the third week, we'll actually be doing a service project around what we talked about. Uh, so we'll, some of our youth are going to be going to a Compassion Resource Warehouse to help pack containers for third world countries that need supplies, uh, medical supplies and stuff like that. They're going to help 
pack those, and the rest are going to help pack supplies for the homeless. And we're going to actually have my brother, who works for Youth for Christ, come in and talk about the dehumanization that happens with the homeless people and with there's lots of disability and mental illness that goes on uh, in that community as well. So we are going to get to do a bit of that each time. So each session has that rhythm. We have the video, we talk about the book and go through part of the book, and then we have a service project that links up with that. In early November, we're going to have some people with disability come in and share their experiences and their side of the picture. So, yeah, really excited to do that. I, what, a, what a great model. Uh, I would encourage, you know, if there's any um, pastors that are listening, in fact, we've actually been contacted by other pastors uh, from across Canada and even the U.S. that are doing similar things with the book, which I think is great. And so, I wanted to mention that because if you're a pastor and you're thinking about doing something similar, reach out to Joshua and find out from him how's, how it's going uh, or you know, get some advice from him. Uh, I'm sure he'd be willing to chat with you about that. I want to I springboard off of this, though, because the the idea of dehumanization amongst homeless and the dehumanization of people with disabilities are actually uh, linked pretty closely in interesting ways. And one of the ways in particular, you and I have talked about before, and it's just something that people really need to understand. And it's interesting because in the book, uh, in Reclaim, this is one of the main ideas that I really tried getting across, because this was the aha moment for me in my research, was to begin to appreciate how we see one another is so critical about, A, seeing somebody's humanity, but even the concept of affirming someone's humanity. Because in the book, one of the things I talk about is how you know the key to dehumanization, if you will, is to not see somebody as fully human. But there's an aspect of that that is really terrible that takes place with regards to the homeless and people and disabilities, because often our view of somebody will get communicated through the way that we'll speak about them. But with regards to homeless, and particularly as we're talking about people with disabilities, this is this comes out in a unique way in that it often doesn't come out verbally. It comes out through the way that we interact with people. And in one of those ways in particular, and I've talked to homeless people that have talked with me about this issue and particularly people with disabilities, and that is how often they are just not seen at all. Now, this has really changed my interactions with people. Uh, It's changed my interactions with homeless people when I walk by homeless people, for example, that I make contact, my make eye contact with them. As we're talking about, and I, and I want to dive into this subject with you, the subject of people with disabilities and how often we don't make eye contact with them, we don't go talk to them, we don't encounter them. And I, and I would think, Joshua, that the reason that some don't is because they're afraid or they see things as being awkward because, as you even mentioned, you know, some people are verbal and some are non-verbal. And and it seems as though people don't know what to do if they come up to somebody in a wheelchair, right, and they say hi to them and the other person doesn't say anything back. But let's let's talk about this in in, in really practical ways. First of all, let's just address the subject of seeing people engaging with people 
Now, I'm sure that this is something that you've experienced. It's why you bring your son with you to these consultations. So tell me about that. But then let's get into how do we remedy this? You know, how, how do we make sure that we are engaging with people, acknowledging their existence? Mm-hmm. It's so uh, important and it's so simple. It's something that we can do that makes a huge impact. Um I, like yourself, often when I see someone who's homeless or see uh, someone with disabilities, make that effort to smile at the very minimum, at least smile. Uh, oftentimes, I know when it comes to panhandlers and stuff like that, we don't want to make eye contact because we don't want to get asked for money. And we don't want that guilt trip that comes with that. But Or we might be frustrated that they're panhandling or whatever it is. Exactly. Whatever whatever um, issues come with that. But if you think about it from their perspective, and my brother actually has spent several days living on the streets, getting to know these people. He calls them his friends, which is just awesome. He lives with the homeless people on the street, and he gets the same reaction because they don't know who he is, right? It's like you're saying, that dehumanization that happens. We automatically assume who they are or who they aren't in a lot of ways. And hour after hour, day after day of being literally 100% ignored by people crushes the soul. And they feel so rejected. And you wonder why they lash out at society. It's like, well, you completely ignored them for however long. Of course, they're going to lash out. And we find this with disability, too. Um, oftentimes, you know, you don't make eye contact with someone in a wheelchair because you don't want the awkward conversation or, or someone who has a, a face deformity or, I mean, obviously, a lot of people stare at people who are blind, even though that varies and they can often see you, but because we think they can't see us. But that hurts the family too. The stairs. I spoke recently actually in North Delta with a woman who was blind and, and sat down with her family and said, you know, what's it like for you in the church? Do you feel accepted? And she's like, you know, we still get the awkward stares. We still get people avoiding us and all of these things that, that happen. I mean, yes, they, they sometimes try and make an effort and get us the music, you know, in Braille or, or whatever, but that doesn't happen all the time. And Let me just pause you real quick here, because I think this is so simple that it could just go over people's heads here. I think this is part of the problem. We think, okay, somebody comes to the church that has a disability, we need to provide hearing assistance or Braille or whatever. And people would say, you know, okay, that's nice. You know, that's helpful. But at the end of the day, what what I've heard and the interactions I've had is people are coming to church for more than just Braille and hearing assistance. I mean, just imagine this for a moment. You come with your family. Okay, so so Joshua and his wife, Nicole, you know, they come in and they've got Malachi and they sit down. And then uh, just imagine just person after person walks by and says hi or looks at people all around them, but never engages them. Or if they do engage them, they never engage their son. It's like the son doesn't even exist. Hmm. And uh, I'm sure that this has played out for you many times. And I wasn't aware of this until I read the, the same book you had talked about. And, and I began to talk with different people as well uh, that have children with disabilities, or you talk with people with a disability. And this is the narrative that you hear. And it really began to change the way that I interacted with people, the way that I even just saw a room and began to think, okay, are there people in this room that I'm choosing not to see because it's difficult or awkward, or I'm not sure what to do. 
and now my my default is, man, I, I want to make sure that I'm engaging with that person that is in a wheelchair or that person that I know is potentially being excluded or that maybe I have in the past. I want to make sure that I'm engaging not just the wife and the and the husband, but I'm engaging their entire family, which means making eye contact mm-hmm. with, say, Malachi, seeing him and saying good morning to him and engaging, you know, acknowledging their their presence, acknowledging their humanity. And I don't think people realize, help, help people to understand how significant that is. It's so simple. It's simple, but it's huge, totally huge. I've talked with families who have come to a couple services at church, sat at the back, their child, um, the one I'm thinking of particularly, had cerebral palsy and so would occasionally, you know, blurt out at the top of his lungs because that's what often they do. My son does that too. They felt like they were totally excluded and were hindering the service and hindering what was going on. So they left and they never came back. And nobody talked to them. My wife and I managed to talk to them and get a bit of information from them. But that's it. Like, no one really acknowledged that they were there and it felt so wrong. I'm like, this is not how a church should react. This is not how Jesus would react. This is not how how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be a family together. And and something that Johnny and Friends talks a lot about too is that the body of Christ is really disabled if it doesn't have people with disability in it. Because that's just another part of the body. It's a very important piece. There's so much we can learn from suffering and from from disability and through people who walk through these things, but walking through it with them too. And now listeners, before we continue a message from our very own Steve Kim. Thanks to your generosity, our Double Your Impact matching campaign has already raised nearly 43% of our total goal. Please help us reach the 100% mark. If you would like to do so, please visit apologeticscanada.com forward slash donate to give. Also, if you're enjoying the topic of this episode and want to learn more about the worldview issues underlying it, we encourage you to pick up a copy of Andy's new book, Reclaimed, How Jesus Restores Our Humanity in a Dehumanized World. It's available through all major book retailers. Finally, don't forget to check out Joshua's ministry, Priceless Youth Ministry, at pricelessyouthministry.ca. Work towards a church environment that's more inclusive of persons with disability by inviting Joshua for a church visit consultation, having him provide virtual training for volunteers and church leaders, and more. Again, check out Joshua's ministry at pricelessyouthministry.ca. And now back to our podcast. And, and, and that's just reality. In the world, there are people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. There's people with challenges. And, and in fact, we all have challenges of varying degrees. And to pretend that that's not the case, because really that's what's happening, and to not acknowledge those people with uh, disabilities is to exclude not only them from humanity, but it excludes yourself to the fullness of what it means to be a human being that's mm-hmm. in relationship with with people of varying disabilities and challenges and loving them and participating with them in life, even in the midst of those challenges. I think some would say this is one of the greatest aspects of what it means to be human is, is learning how to suffer with one another. Yeah, for sure. And, um, 
you know, in that we, we tend to, especially in a Canadian culture, we tend to not want to rock the boat and be very polite. And we feel like we're being polite to people with disability, but oftentimes it's the exact opposite because we don't acknowledge them and we don't, you know, step out of our little bubble for a second just to smile even or to say hello. And a lot of times we feel like, you know, if we ask questions or that we're being rude, but often they love to be asked questions, um, not just about their disability. I wouldn't start there, but just about who they are as a person, right? Because ultimately they are a person. They're made in God's image, just like we are. So let me, let's, let's get practical here then. Imagine somebody comes, they walk by you at church. Uh, now, obviously these days in a pandemic, they're a little bit different, but Lord willing, this pandemic will eventually be over and we'll be back in church, or at least you'll be in church with 50 people. And you're sitting there with your family. So you're saying, even though your son is nonverbal, you could still ask questions. For example, good morning, Malachi, how mm-hmm. are you today? Yeah, and he would often give you a smile or react in some way to an interaction like that. So he's going to give you something back for sure. What What's some advice, just practical advice that you would give? I mean, there there's one piece of practical advice. So not just making eye contact, but saying hello. But like you're saying, ask a question. What are What are some do's and don'ts that you would encourage people with engaging? people with a, with a disability? I mean, it obviously uh, varies um, from disability to disability. The main thing I could say is trying to interact with the person themselves is really helpful. Uh, start there. If there's someone who's, you know, severely disabled and doesn't have that kind of interaction, talking with the caregiver, whether it be a parent or a nurse or someone like that, is good as well. And ask the caregiver, how should I interact with this person? Right. Instead of directing all of your conversation at the caregiver, ask the caregiver, how do I interact with a person with disabilities? Like how and language, like if you notice, I'm um, saying people with disabilities. So it's always person first language. Often people with disabilities don't like the term special needs because their needs are not special. They're not above or beyond any of our needs. They're the same. They just might require extra things to make that happen but the needs are no different and in particular what we're honing in here on here at the moment is relational needs right exactly yeah so yeah everyone needs that that relational interaction right that level especially right now it's so hard to do but if you know someone in your community who has disabilities give them a call everybody has a cell phone I guarantee them or their caregiver has a cell phone and there is a way to interact and reach out. And especially with what everything is going on, they are so lonely. I was holding some weekly Zoom meetings for a while for families. Um, and it was awesome to be able to connect with other, other families and just share our stories and like, hey, how long do you leave your groceries in your garage to make sure they're sanitized? <laughs> or <laughs> how many times do you wipe down your stuff? Like just little things like that and sharing advice and sharing strategies of how to make it through. And just that relational side was huge. Now, that's an interesting aspect that I think is worth talking about here. I'm guessing that Malachi is going to be more at risk Mm. from COVID, Mm. and that's probably true of other families with disabilities. So, the odds are you're not going to see them at church for a while. Very true. And means that they're probably locked up at home. And really, I guess, you know, that highlights even more the need for churches, for communities to reach out to those families. I can only imagine how isolated they must feel right now. 
Yeah, totally. Yeah, we we haven't done a whole lot of outings. I don't think Malachi has really been, besides doctor's appointments, out of the house since May. It's very isolating for sure, and it's hard, especially for my wife who works at home, you know, mentally and socially, to not have that interaction that normally would. And we're trying to figure out ways to be able to do that with church, especially with me working, you know, with the church now. How do we do that? Do we do like a Zoom meeting type thing on Sunday so people can get to see him and interact? Do we put him in a bubble in the corner of the room? Like, you know, not super practical, but what do we do, right? We want to have those interactions, but we still want to make sure that the, the most vulnerable out there are safe, right? Yeah. But yeah, a practical thing like a phone call or, or getting a hold of, of them in some way and saying, hey, you know, I was thinking about you today. I, I really do care and I want to know, you know, how can I help? I understand this is a tough time for you. Just seeing them as a human who has the same needs that we do is, is huge. And it's simple. It's quite simple. I was actually chatting with one of the nurses, um, one of our night nurses about this and just how simple it is to include people if we just think about it from a perspective of... You know, they're just another person. We just need to find out their personality and their quirks and who they are so we can better interact with them. But we naturally do this all the time with people anyway. We do it without thinking, but for some reason we hit those breaks when we see someone with disability. You know, it's interesting because I've made this, once this was brought to my attention, this was a couple years ago, this was brought to my attention. and, And ever since then, the rule that I've kept is that when I walk by a homeless person or when I walk by a person with a disability or those people that just get excluded from society, that I make sure that at the very minimum, I have made eye contact with them. I have acknowledged their existence, their humanity, that I've said hello, particularly in church over the years, people who know me, I will go out of my way to engage with, to say hello, and to make sure that in our ministry we are incorporating or doing things that are necessary. For example, we've had people in our ministry that suffered from anxiety or other challenges. And, you know, we'll, we go out of our way to see, okay, how can we make this a place that works for, for everyone, right? What is a win-win situation? One of the things that we've had to deal with as well is mm-hmm. that – We want you to be a part of community, but we don't want you to disrupt community at the same time. So, we had somebody who was dealing with anxiety to such a degree that it would cause breakdowns and you could have screaming and yelling. You could have some pretty intense stuff. It's interesting to me what what often is the response is A, what I'll often see in churches is they'll try to ignore it, Mm. or I've seen where they'll just try to exclude or will they just flat out ask the person to to stop, you know, coming, mm-hmm. to stop engaging? But one of the things that I've seen that's just so important is, again, to engage this person as a human being is to sit down, have a meeting with them, you know, talk with them. Mm-hmm. Let them know that you love them, that you care for them, that you want to help, you know, incorporate them into the community. And then talk about how to do that. Again, like you said, this isn't rocket science, mm-hmm. but... But it is one of those things that I have noticed, particularly with pastors, that, you know, one I think one of the issues that we have is in our culture, because I would think in some ways that this is almost a product of our, like, overly polite culture kind of mentality, that, that, that because of that, we don't want to engage. We don't want 
to acknowledge that you might be suffering or that there might be challenges there. Or one of the big ones that I've had to learn is just to be really clear with people, to don't beat around the bush. Somebody's dealing with anxiety or somebody's dealing with with a specific issue, like don't tiptoe around it. Just be very clear and loving and just talk through that. Now, we could get into more specifics, but uh, you know, it, it can be challenging to do that in that, as you know, the situations can be so different uh, that you really got to take things situation by situation. That's, again, one of the reasons I think that churches, having somebody like yourself as a resource is so valuable because you can come with the experience of what has and hasn't worked. Uh, and so, one of the things I asked you there, and I want to go into this a bit, like, what are some things that don't work? I mean, what are, what are some potential challenges or or mistakes that you would encourage people to watch out for that you've seen? Well, some of the things that you mentioned for sure, um, like excluding someone or asking someone to leave because they're too noisy um, or just ignoring them altogether and, and expecting the problem to go away. Um, and the other thing too, like the thing that's important that you mentioned is that we don't want to we want the general congregation to be able to engage with the message, the service, what we're doing. And we don't want them to suffer because of one person with disabilities either, right? We want everyone to be included and it needs to be an inclusive environment. But that doesn't mean that we do that to the detriment of others, right? So we need to find ways to be able to do that. And a few of the tips and tricks uh, that I have, um, I have some write-ups that I can definitely provide for people on how to do this. But one of the things is a buddy program. A buddy ministry is great. So basically, like you were suggesting, you, you sit down and you talk to them and you interact with them human to human. And you find out what their needs are, what who they are as a person. And I have um, some great forms and stuff like that to help with this. And then you assign someone in your ministry to be their body and they walk alongside. And if I could just add to that, that system is something that we have used that has been incredibly effective. However, one thing that we have noticed is we found it's best to have buddies because one person can often get burned out if you just leave it to one buddy. Yeah. I'm sure you've experienced that as well. Yeah, no, for sure. Depending on the level of needs of the person, you may need to have more than one buddy for sure. Or um, like a rotation of people that... Right. But that consistency is huge though too. You need to have a consistent and, and for the person with disabilities to understand that, okay, this week I'm going to have so-and-so. Next week I'm going to have so-and-so. And that they know the schedule ahead of time. Consistency is huge. It's very important. If, if I could just tease this one out, I'll give this a really practical example of how this worked for us. We had a girl in our ministry that was suffering from anxiety and was having these breakdowns that resulted in us having to needing to call for an ambulance numerous times. And so it, it got to the place where it was just completely unsafe, unsafe for her, unsafe for, for other people. And so we realized, okay, we're going to need some sort of a buddy system because she was having difficulty at the time seeing that she was being triggered into a panic attack. And so she needed that buddy that could just hmm. be a support to her where she had a safe place in the church that she could go so that she wouldn't have these panic attacks and that that person would, could just be there. Now, there were different things that we put in place. One is, is uh, if you didn't, you know, if, 
is we, we put the onus on her. That it wasn't just all our onus, it was both of our onus. I should say it that way. That we put the onus on both of us. That we would provide her with a buddy, we would help with that, but that she also needed to make sure that she had a buddy that she was coming to church with. And making sure that, you know, that this this was a, a give-and-take relationship there. Mm-hmm. And as well, we set up, you know, rewards, if you will. Because one of the things that we wanted to help her with is, hey, like, hey, let's get to a place where you stop having panic attacks at church and you don't need a buddy in the future. So, because uh, I don't think a buddy has to be a forever thing. Hmm. So, and, and this is what happened with us. It took it took over a year, but she came to church with a buddy for, for quite some time and that helped tremendously. The ambulance calls stopped. And then we, you know, we went, first we went to phase one, right? And no more ambulances. And then phase two was, uh, let's get to a place where you don't need a buddy anymore. And now she attends church and does not have a buddy and is doing is doing fantastic. And but yet she's also got that that community engagement. Yeah, for sure. Buddies are often a bridge. They're not necessarily a, a, like you said a forever thing, but they're a bridge. They're a bridge between the person with disabilities and and their lack of abilities and interacting fully with the church and. Disability is not necessarily a uh, static thing. It's not, you can have people who have disabilities that are temporary, like you're mentioning, like mental health and stuff like that. But disabilities are so, it's not a static thing and it's so socially driven. Depending on whatever social environment you're in, I mean, back in, you know, in the old days, people, women in general, were considered people with disabilities, right? So it's so dependent on your social environment. If you can tweak or change your social environment, for example, if every kid out there in school learned sign language and kids who were deaf learned sign language as well, if everyone learned sign language, there wouldn't be an issue. That disability would basically disappear. So if we can change um, the social environment in such a way that disability disappears when those people walk in the church doors, you know, we've done our job. And buddies is a big part of that. You see that uh, as well. We've had that with people who are blind, for example, and they do what they need, what's called, um, uh, what do they call it? An assisted walk mm-hmm. where you get yep. used to, you know, putting your arm out and allowing them, they'll just lightly touch you, right? As you help navigate through the church or it's being accommodating with their service dog that they need or or others in our church who uh, use a walking cane and those sorts of things. What other, um, what are some other areas where you'd say people have gotten this wrong or things to avoid? Yeah, another thing that's really good to, to avoid is when it comes with interactions with children. Children don't have a filter often, right? And they'll come up and they'll ask those questions. And often the parents will go, oh, shh, you know, like, don't ask those questions. That's, that's rude. That's not nice. Or the parents will come up with some sort of explanation they th- think fits. Like the one that we often get with my son is, oh, it's okay, sweetheart. He's just sleeping. It's like, no, he's awake and alert and just as alert as he normally is. He just doesn't move as much as normal kids. Oh, so, so what you're talking about is when kids will come up to somebody with a disability. Right. And, okay. And they'll just say whatever they're thinking. Yeah, exactly. But it's the parents' interaction with that that we need to be careful of, right? Kids with their their filter is totally fine and totally innocent. But it's the parents that sometimes will step in and start either, like I said, um, making up 
what they think is going on or shushing their kid and telling them, you know, that's rude, that's wrong. No, we need to encourage the kids that that's okay to ask questions. And what the parents should be doing is saying, well, okay, let's ask them. Let's ask, you know, Malachi, what's going on? Or let's ask his parents, you know, what's going on? Let's interact. Let's treat them like a human. Let's get to that that point where there's just another kid. A great example of this, um, which I shared in other podcasts as well, is in school, they uh, had a dodgeball set up. And they were like, how do we get Malachi, who's in a wheelchair, to interact with dodgeball? Well, they made it Dr. Dodgeball, and he was the doctor. <laughs> so after one of these kids got tagged with a ball and was out, they had to come to Malachi and touch Malachi's hand to be healed. Ironic, but awesome. <laughs> <laughs> And the the coolest thing was socially, before this, the kids would avoid Malachi and didn't want to come near him, didn't want to interact with him. After Dr. Dodgeball, every one of those kids wanted to interact and be with Malachi. And they broke down those social barriers because they had that physical connection with him and realized he's just a kid like the rest of us. And it took a really creative teacher in the situation to make that happen and Honestly, when I heard it as a parent, I I cried. I thought it was just the best thing ever to have my son included, just like every other student. And it was was so cool. And if we can provide that kind of thing for parents in the church, they're going to come back. And that's what we want. We want them to have a home and have a, a place where they can feel safe, you know, in the church walls, right? A community. In that community, totally. And they don't get that community a lot of other places. They are so used to rejection and so used to not fitting in. It's so funny when we run into another family who has a kid with disabilities because we have this camaraderie and link already. We were on the ferry one time going to an appointment at BC Children's Hospital over in Vancouver. Another parent heard the suction machine my son uses uh, to help. We use it to help clear his throat. And she ran up and said, hey, we have one of those too. And so we went over and met uh, her 16-year-old daughter who was on a, um, they call a side liar, basically a, a portable wheelchair slash bed system. And uh, her daughter had a tracheotomy, uh, so had a trach and had a little uh, speaker that amplified her voice. And she was able to speak very little, but intellectually she was all there. She's just trapped in this body. And it was just awesome to have this camaraderie, um, you know, and be able to chat and treat her just as much a human as anyone else right and that's the kind of social level and interaction we want to get to you know within the church yeah what a what a great example and i think that's so true it just it some it means that sometimes you're just going to need to be a little more creative mm-hmm. you're going to have to put a little bit more effort in but again this stuff isn't it's not rocket science no Great. This has been fantastic. I want to just, again, encourage people to check out Joshua's ministry, Priceless Youth Ministries, and the work he's doing. Really encourage you to just get some wisdom on this subject. Get some consultation. And let's be the, the church that we've been called to be. Let's be the community that loves all people and that not just acknowledges people's existence at the very minimum, but includes them into the community as we seek to love God and to love one another. Thank you listeners for listening to the AC Podcast. We will be back next week with more things to think about.